0: is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San
1: Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. What a busy, busy day I've had and I apologize uh, if I was a little frazzled uh, yesterday. I'm glad to be with you. Thank you for tuning in to the Pro-America Report. Let me give you a couple of things to check out. If you go right now to the YouTube channel for the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, that's where we put the nearly six hours of videos of our incredible collegiate Event that took place uh, on uh, let's see Tuesday night. I'm getting my days wrong. Tuesday evening for almost six hours. Everybody from Senator Ted Cruz, who was phenomenal, uh, Congressman Louis Gohmert, Todd Bensman of the Immigration of the Center for Immigration Studies, all kinds of things. Brid- Bridget Van Means. It was amazing. Hans von Spakowski. Crazy, wonderful stories. General Mike Flynn uh, and Seth Dillon, the CEO of the Babylon Bee, finished off things. It just was extraordinary. So I hope you'll go and tune in. Go to you. Go to the YouTube. YouTube channel for the Phyllis Slaffla Eagles and tune in there and check it out. And you, you can move around pretty quickly in the next day or two we will have released uh of the um the audio tapes uh, excuse me the cuts of the different uh, videos so we'll get there it's not quite yet but uh, we'll be we'll get, get there pretty quick alright so that's uh, that's a wonderful thing and I hope you'll check it out I'm really excited about it and really proud proud of the great work the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles go to phyllischlafly.com to find out more there okay now don't forget the Pro America Report you can go over to proamericareport.com and sign up for the daily emails uh, daily wink it goes out Monday through Friday at 5 a.m. west coast time 8 a.m. east coast time and a uh, little uh, programming note, I'll be filling in for Andrea Kay on Friday night, filling in on her show Friday night, which is exciting. She is on sabbatical, what is it, on assignment is the phrase they use when somebody's away. So I'm excited about that. Okay, let's talk about what you need to know today in terms of Joe Biden's trip to Europe. And the question that should be on your mind is, does it matter that Joe Biden's trip has been sort of stumbling and fumbling. Does it really matter? Should you be worried about the fact that he messed up Libya and Syria? Should you be worried that he was sort of pulled along by Mrs. Biden? Should you be worried that, uh, like five or six or seven times, he said, ah, "I don't want to answer. I'm going to get in trouble." As if he's you know kind of out away from his caregivers. Any, of, does any of that really matter? Should it matter to you that he said to uh, Putin? Someone asked him, "Do they trust? Do you trust Putin?" He said, "Yes." And then an hour later, his national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, comes out and walks it back. Does it matter? And the short answer is we have really good institutions in the country that hold us in sweat and hold us strong. But, yes, it does matter. And it matters dramatically. So now let's contrast these. When Donald Trump went to Europe, he certainly was blustery. He certainly was hostile to some. He certainly shook the box, as they say, and made people wonder what was going on. All kinds of that. It's all true. You can't deny that. But what he did show was unbelievable uh, energy, vitality, intensity. And the intensity vitality was all in one direction. What was the direction? It was, I am going to assert... America's rights over what they're due. And and a lot of the Europeans were like, hold on, we're not quite used to this. We usually get whatever we want and we don't have to fight for it. And this is weird to us. And that was the reaction. That was a clear reaction that you saw. And so, you know, you have to, the contrast, now contrast to today. There was a sense that uh, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out a way to get along. Iran, we're negotiating with them. Uh, we want uh, peace in the Palestinian front. And uh, you know we're not gonna say anything bad about uh, uh, Israel, but we're not gonna get excited about uh, Netanyahu. And we're, in fact, we're gonna probably celebrate he's leaving. We're gonna, and it comes to uh, uh, China, we're gonna say a few things and we'll have a little communique that says some hard things. But in general, we're gonna change our policies back to the old way that we did things. That's what you see. And what it looks like, again, direction, I think you heard me say in the fall about um, polling, polls are really lies now. They're like fake news. But the one thing you can use polls for is to tell you the direction of something, the way it's going. So if you see like, uh, you know, um, the, the, the trend line can give you some sense of maybe how things are moving. You can't really trust the truth of it. But so that's, and that's what I say about polls. And the same thing is true in a certain sense with the public perception and the, and the interaction with other nations. When the Germans sign a big deal to buy a ton of natural gas from Russia and create a pipeline across Europe, the Nordstrom Two, which Trump blocked because he thought it wasn't a good idea. But he said, you know, and, and Biden lets it go. And actually, I don't have a, much of a, of, a, of, a, of a feeling either way, uh, in a sense. But what I do know is this. Uh, uh, Germany gave us nothing in return. They need it. And they gave us nothing in return. They didn't say they would pay more of their NATO debts. They didn't say they would do anything. So, you know, Germany's like, look, we get what we want. And we get everybody uh, talking nice to each other. And we get uh, this this addled uh, Biden wandering around, bumbling around. This is a pretty good deal for us. And so now we have a situation where who's in charge? And this is where you have to just read the, the, uh, the tea leaves of the coverage of things like the $100 million the Department of Justice is putting towards identifying and fighting domestic. The greatest domestic threat to the domestic uh, America is, is, in their mind is, is uh, violence, domestic violence, especially from white supremacy. Now, just give yourself, just have a thought experiment. I said this last night with uh, Congressman Pete Sessions. Just a thought experiment. Do you, if you're sitting there, you say to yourself, I've been watching things. I'm checking the news out. I'm a pretty alert person. You're listening to this program, so you're, you're pretty alert about things. And you're like, you know what? Let me, let me say, what, what, what is it that I care about? And how, do I, how am I going to identify what the threats uh, to me and to my family are? I'm going to sit here and I'm going to say, you know, I I live in um, San Diego or I live in L.A. Um, I'm worried about threats. What threats? Well, Islamic terrorism, there's still some of that, but it doesn't feel too bad. Um, There's violence in our cities. That doesn't feel, you know, that feels somewhat bad depending on where you live. I don't know. Maybe I'm worried about the economy. I'm worried about China. I'm worried about different things. But in terms of demand, does anyone, does anyone who's not watching CNN and being fed the CNN narrative, does anyone that you know say, oh, you know what? What's really a threat to me, what I'm really feeling is the domestic threat of white supremacy. It looks like there's a lot of white supremacy violence around. I really got to worry about that. Does anybody do that? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. So my point here is, who's in charge in America? We have people that are in charge in the White House. It's clearly not Joe Biden. Now, I would argue that no president is really in charge. The government's too big. Let me say it differently. No president's in charge of all the levers of power, but they do give a direction. Does anybody think that that, uh, Donald Trump wasn't in charge? Of course not. And when things would happen that he didn't like and he was in charge, he'd just make them change it back. He would just change his mind. And people would say, how can you do that? And he would be like, I'm not listening to the bureaucrats. I'm not listening to anybody else. I'm just changing my mind. I'm changing the position. Right now, what you can see with the size of government so big, that there's lots of people in charge of lots of levers of power, and you don't get a sense that Biden is going to buck any of them. Now, why? Is it because, as I've said before, Susan Rice is in charge? Probably a part of it. Is it because Biden doesn't really, he's never really been an executive? I think that's right. You know, he's never, if you're on a staff, a Senate staff, you really have about a 10 person staff. There's more on the staff than that, but the senator doesn't deal with uh, the people down the hall that do uh, constituent services. He deals with the chief of staff, two or three deputy chiefs of staff, a general counsel, three or four others, maybe some committee staff. You're not really a manager. You're not really a manager of a sophisticated... Now, someone would push back and say, well, Donald Trump, at the height of his uh, his um, uh, empire, he had only 150 staff. Yeah, but when you're managing multiple entities, meaning you've got one guy doing real estate, one guy doing uh, uh, partnerships, one guy doing endorsements, one guy doing TV, you've got a lot of different parts. And, you know, it's one of the ar- arguments, I think, that is compelling for why governors... George W. Bush was like this, even Bill Clinton, have a better time at understanding the job because it's half politics, you're a candidate for president, and half management, and it's tough. So who's in charge? And what Europe knows right now is Joe Biden is not a strong leader. He's not a strong leader towards them, and he's not a strong leader in our own country, and they see that. And you see the meeting with Putin, it's just as a blah, it's nothing. And you, you, there's nothing about the meeting that Putin's thinking, oh, wow, this guy's dynamic. The only thing that I would say that people in the world are wondering is if Joe Biden is going to completely be like every other swamp creature. You know, the kinds of rhetoric, the kinds of dynamic. You know, he's gone back to Iran, said, let's make a deal. He's gone back to the UN and said, we want to do all the same stuff we did. He wants to go back to the Paris Climate Accord. He's going back towards China saying, we're really mad at you, but we're not going to do anything about it, really, which is what every other president did before Trump. They all talked a big game and they did nothing. So the question is whether, is, is, you know, in their mind, is, is he going to be totally swampy or is he going to do something different? And remember, if things start to go bad in America politically, like Bill Clinton, I mean, he bombed places. He, he, he's not a if you're if you're crass enough to use the system, the governing system for your political ends, which it looks like that people are. It necessarily, it's we're going to see something, right? So it is a major challenge. It is a major embarrassment. Now, I want to say something else though about this. I want to do a little bit. I want to be a little bit generous. There's nothing like the Klig lights of the modern time. And so when you see the, you know, Ronald Reagan, Gerald Ford, John F. Kennedy, you know, uh, Eisenhower, if they had had 24 hour news in the ear of Eisenhower, who knows what we would have seen. So it's really a hard bar now. And in some ways, because what happened to Trump was the media went so over the top, the um, the right-leaning media feels like they have the authority to do the same thing. And so we're seeing sort of the underbelly of, uh, of the media, you know, pushing every angle and every failure and all. And so it's, it is unbecoming, and it's hard to judge uh, clearly how, how, you know, how much, how out of touch is Joe Biden compared to Carter? How, you know, was Ronald Reagan in his seventh year, you know, slowed by all the intensity of things? You know, the people get worn down. But I can just tell you, the impression in the world is not a good one. It is not a good one for America that this is the man we have out front, and they know it. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back in a moment. And don't forget, please visit proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com, and sign up for the Daily Wink. We'll be back in a moment. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Now I'm having another. I'm having an author on a second time. His name is Jeffrey Stevens. By the way, this is Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. And Jeff Stevens' book is uh, one that was came out on my son's birthday. Now you got to follow this because this is all about Father's Day. It's my son's birthday. You all know, my listeners know how much I love my children and how great great a gift it is to be a father. And on my son's birthday last year, so December eighth, twenty twenty, a book came out, Post Hill Press, and uh, Jeff Stevens is the author. And it's called Fool's Errand. And Jeff, I had you on the show uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. And I have to tell you the truth. I hadn't finished reading the book, but I finished it since then, and it's really great. And here's the setup, everybody. If you're looking for a Father's Day book, I like books about the relationship of fathers and sons. For me, obviously, I'm a father and I'm, I'm a son, but uh, the uh, in this one, Fool's Aaron, it's about a young man, youngish man, his father has died, and he gets a letter from his dad. Before he died, the dad wrote a letter, and it sends him on this sort of uh wild goose chase and it turns out it's really cool ending um so jeff uh thanks for writing the book and if people are interested they can get fool's errand everywhere you get books but here's the question i want to ask you how much of the writing because as a reader i was thinking about my dad and i was thinking about my sons and my kids how much of as a writer was this about your relationship with your dad
0: Well, thank you so much for having me back on, and it's a great question, and the answer is it's probably 100% about my relationship with my dad, who did die young, and as you know, and you did a perfect summary of the book, the deal is that this young man finds his letter from his father six years after the father dies, but it was written just before the father died, and it does send him on a wild goose chase, and what's interesting is How I came with the idea, because, as you know, before this, I'd written a whole series of, you know, sort of right-wing conspiracy spy thrillers, which have been doing great and all that. But the reason I wrote this book was during the pandemic, you know, family became even more important than it normally is. And we got into these discussions about if you could spend one day with somebody who's gone, who would that be? And some people would say Jesus Christ. Some people would say Winston Churchill. But most people would say, oh, God, if I could spend one more day with my mom or one more day with my dad. And so I came up with this idea, because I would love to hear from my father one more time. And so I said, imagine if I found a letter from him that was written long before he died, and it began this whole idea for me. And as you know, I turned it into this international treasure hunt, and it was really, really a lot of fun, but it brought up so much stuff for me and my dad. Now, the facts,
1: obviously, are largely fictionalized, but the relationship is 100% real well and and again we're to to we 're talking with the author jeffrey stevens and and uh, he mentioned uh, if you go to jeffreystevens dot com and i 'll put this up on social media jeffreystevens dot com you can see the book the the newer book fools Aaron, and, and many other books but um back to that because it 's not a perfect in this in this book the father figure is 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 not a total You know, he's not a total loser, but he's not a winner. And he also is, you know, not exactly as reputable. And yet what he discovers is uh, the son discovers that at a certain period in his life, he sort of was a great success, but he never had, had talked that through. He never claimed that with his family. Again, that's a thing I think most fathers realize being a dad is about not not doing everything right and just trying to do as much as you can right, Right. And so something about being a well, dad then. makes me realize my dad, my dad better. But again, I, I did that. It almost like as a writer, you were able to to hone in on that, because that's what was moving for me.
0: Thank you so much. And yes, because the father in the story kind of painted, shall we say, outside the lines. And he was not yeah. a success in that he missed a lot. But what I found fascinating, too, was to write the story from the perspective of this young man Finally seeing his father through the eyes of his father's friends, who, you know, we as, we as children, no matter how old we are, we still had parents, and we see our parents through the prism of our experience as children, but... Our parents are still adults who have friends and who are viewed differently in the world. And the more this young man digs into what happened there, the more he comes to respect and understand his dad. And so that's great. I have to throw this in real quick, by the way. I love that your son is a Sagittarius. He was born on, by the way, (laughs) one of my best friend's birthdays. But here's the deal. I tried to bring that book out on my dad's birthday and I'm going to tell you the truth it's a week later and so is my birthday so we're all in there
1: together to my dad and me <laughs> wow that's fantastic that's great well so great. And, and and now yeah that is great um now that the the uh, another part of this I want to ask you about is um, again the book is fool's errand uh, is and now I'm saying for kids or for adults whoever uh, You wrote in a way that lets you celebrate what the son saw of his dad. In other words, dad was kind of a gangster, kind of not not even a successful gangster, not a great, you know, not a great guy and whatever. And then but then you went back and and not to spoil it. But what you found out, what the son finds out is, hey, in this one period, the dad was a great success and it shines through. Most people can't get that. And so if your dad's gone and you're coming up on Father's Day, you're saying to yourself, I wish somebody could give me that glimpse. And my kind of point is you're doing it for him to imagine it. But what do you say, you know... Uh, the whole darn world—I mean, not the whole, but a lot of the world—is living with broken homes, right? Divorces, and no matter what, yes. you end up yes. feeling like, "Oh, somehow my dad and mom didn't do what they should have." No matter what it is, however, like you said, we all think. How do you? How do, if you don't have the imagination to get to fool's errand where you could imagine it? Sort of, a lot of lot of people have a challenge on holidays like this of of being able to say, "Look." I don't feel good about myself because I'm not doing as well as I want, nor my dad. It's a kind of funny cycle that you kind of got to break by realizing everybody had a success like this guy. We just can't see it.
0: Yeah. You said a brilliant thing, which is a lot of us live out of should have. My wife tells me all the time, don't live out of should have live out of what is. And the point of the book is that we as, as children and then as parents, We actually do the best we can do. And that's what people have to remember, that parenting does not come with a guidebook. It doesn't come with an instruction manual. It really is learn on on the fly. And so even if our parents weren't perfect, you have to know that they loved you, that they did the best they could, even if you come from a broken home. I guarantee you that whatever the differences were between the mother and father, they don't apply to the children. We have to remember that those parents did the best they could, and loved you, and that's the story. That's the message for Father's Day and Fool's Errand, which is even this deceased father, and as a deceased father, he is, as you know, a main character in the story, even though he's long gone, but the truth is he really did love his son, and his son comes to realize that, and his son comes to realize that his dad really did try. Listen, we don't all succeed. Not all of us are, you know, Tiger Woods on the golf course or Roger Federer on the, on the tennis court or Michael Jordan on the basketball court. We're not all Mickey Mantle or whatever you want to say. But at least we give it the shot. And we should give our parents a break on Father's Day and Mother's Day. And all year round, we should remember that they really did do the best they could.
1: I'm um, just gonna say, who's Mickey Mantle's? I'm mean, Mickey Mantle. I'm just kidding. I know who it is, but it's just fun to say that because all those, i know all those guys are contemporaries. We're talking with Jeffrey Stevens. His website. Jeffrey dot com. I'll put it up on social media. The book is Fool's Errand. Uh, and it's really good one. It's a good one for Father's Day. Did you when you are a writer like this and your website? I, I know when I go there, you can see not only the books you've written and your biography. And all You do have a way to contact you. Do you after writing as many books as you, you've written, you written? You must be able to gauge the reaction by nowadays, by not just social media, but by emails or letters. Oh, sure. Has this one as this one generated a, a different kind of caliber of. Of response? Oh yeah, sure. I mean the Jordan Sandor
0: Spy series is terrific. People love it. They're entertained. But this one touches a nerve. I mean I've had women I've had women get in touch with me and say, even though this is a father-son saga, I thought of my mother and I cried right through the end of the book and I just kept thinking about it after it was done. It's just a different level. And by the way, when you look for me folks, Jeffrey Stevens, Stevens is a PH because a lot of people say, gee, I can never find that guy. Stevens is with a PH site on Amazon, and that's how you find me. But, yes, it's really true. People have a different reaction to this book. This is a more visceral reaction, and it's great. It's been great feedback.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, well, it's a really good one, and I really enjoyed it. And I I, I, I try not to interview somebody when I haven't read the book or my kind of uh, my listeners know I do nonfiction. I do first chapter, last chapter, and then I decide what else I want to read. But this one I find I, I did get through it. Fools, Aaron is the book. JeffreyStevens.com and Jeffrey is J E F F R E Y Stevens S T E P H E N S dot com. It's up on my social <laughs> media also. And uh, hey, listen, uh, listen, Jeff. Uh, happy Father's Day! Thanks for taking the time to write this Me book. Uh, not just those great spy on uh, uh, spy books; they're great too. But this is a a really nice one, and uh, we appreciate the time today well
0: thank you just one quick last thought tell your son sagittarius is the elite of the zodiac
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right i'll try it i'll try it i don't want to encourage him too much he's he's he's, he's, yeah he's going to be a teenager he's a teenager now so he's already a little too confident i got to break him down but anyway uh all right thanks uh (laughs) jeffrey stevens all right and again the book is fool's errand and uh we'll take a break it's ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. This is a really great, I'm happy to have this interview because uh, I have been telling the listeners, uh, Erica, for a while of the value of the NRA. I know this firsthand because I was a candidate in 2010 for Congress, and I also ran the Republican Party, and I would say to people that the NRA knows what they're doing. And what does that mean? Well, they care about the issue. They know the issue, but they know how politics works. And so the NRA is educating about what the issues are. They're understanding what legislation means but then they know how things work and the affiliated groups know how campaigns work and it's really valuable and i believe 2020 was dramatically disadvantaged by the fact that the nra was dealing with lawsuits and targeted by the attorney general in new york and it's not what i brought our next guest on to talk about that but i mean here we are her name is erica turgeson and she is a senior advisor for the nra uh welcome erica to the program how are you
2: Well, Ed, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for all you do to defend and protect the Second Amendment. I have to say, on behalf of our 5 million members, we greatly appreciate it.
1: Well, you, you're nice to say, and uh, I, I think it's um, it's obviously we conservatives have to understand what's under uh, attack and what's happening. Uh, but I really think, uh, and I encourage you, and I one of the reasons I reached out to Erica was my old boss, uh, Governor Matt Blunt from Missouri, has worked with the NRA for years, and I said, man, we got to keep helping because you're really being targeted. I mean, I, I go through it all the time. It, we were in an era where lawfare is now like a regular, you know, kind of fair at the at the uh, when you go to to food, it's like a, you know, it's it's incredible crazy what's happening. So but I want to talk to you about what's going on with the gun control agenda, because in the midst of all the puff coverage of Biden and all, there are things happening. So first of all, tell me, in the first months of the of the of the Biden administration, we haven't seen specific legislation yet. But that doesn't mean there's not lots of things happening. Can you talk a little bit broadly about what you're seeing?
2: It's all started basically in the House of Representatives. The House of Representatives passed two bills already. Um, they're both waiting at the desk in the Senate. They could be taken up right. any minute that Schumer decides to take them up. Um, probably the most likely of those is the so-called universal.
1: So, Erica, give me you were cutting out a little bit. Giving me that, what's the piece of legislation that's the most likely you started to mention that could get to the floor? Or could become a, a floor fight.
2: Sure. This is the universal background check legislation. Oh, right. And right, right. what you need to know about that, it's so-called universal background check, because we already have background checks in the United States. Most of us know if we purchase a firearm that we've gone through that system already. Uh, but what this right. really means is you would have to register each and every firearm in America to be able to enforce universal background checks. And that's all you really need to know about the bill. It right. also makes it illegal to transfer to a neighbor if they needed to borrow a firearm, a family member. Um, if you had somebody that was having a hard time, um, maybe a little bit suicidal and said, could you please take my firearm? Legally, you would have to tell them no. So it's very extreme right. legislation, um, and it would really change gun ownership in the United States.
1: All right. And we're talking with Eric, excuse me, Erica Turgeson. She's with the NRA, uh, Legislative Affairs Committee, I think is how you say it. And she's a senior advisor. C- tell me, and then tell our listeners, we mentioned it before on the show, but we, I was, I was saying that, um, the president still, President Biden's still working through his nominees. And there is a nominee out there, uh, for the ATF uh alcohol tobacco and firearms division big big job a big a really important job his name is david chipman and this is bad news for uh second amendment uh believers and second amendment people that that honor and respect the second amendment walk us through this gentleman and why it's so important for people to be aware because this is one that we can't sort of have allow republicans or uh, soft democrats to have deference to their old colleague uh, joe biden they've got to stop this one in its tracks
2: you're absolutely right. And David Chipman is extremely radical. He's actually a gun control lobbyist for the Giffords group, um, which is one oh, of wow. the most extreme gun control groups in America. Yep. Even Senator Chuck Grassley last week said that putting Chipman in charge of the AT- or in charge of the ATF would be like putting Antifa in charge of the Portland Police Department. So the NRA wow. is spending 2.7 million to try to stop his nomination from succeeding and I want to encourage all of your listeners to call their senators and tell them to oppose David Chipman. The vote should be in the full Senate next week.
1: Okay. Well, and so is it what are you hearing? I mean, is there is this is where the world relies on what uh Susan uh, Susan C- yeah, Susan Collins and and uh, and Manchin, and this is where sometimes Lindsey Graham even will say, "Well, I used to know Joe Biden. I'll be nice." I mean, uh, what what are you? What are the tea leaves telling you, or what are you hearing?
2: It's going to be very close. It could easily be fifty fifty um, with the vice president breaking the tie. Uh, it mm. is. We could defeat him, um, or we could lose by one or two votes in the Senate.
1: Wow wow okay now um tell me about the 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 rest of the regulatory framework i mean again you know so much has happened in this country that um you we we are ruled by uh regulations and rules are there other places where you're seeing appointees that are worrisome is the department of justice on the warpath give us some sense of what we're seeing
2: they all are but i would focus back on the ATF because they will be in charge of so many regulations that impact gun owners now and in the future. They can change the regulations on ammunition and what type of ammunition is allowed. Um, they've been talking about pistol braces. The Biden administration recently put out model quote, red flag legislation, which is really gun control bills, basically, for each state to adopt Um, So there is no lack of importance for this ATF director, and I think if we can defeat him, then we can send a very strong message to the Biden administration that they need to back off on their assault on the Second Amendment.
1: You know and I am we're again we're talking with uh, Eric Turgeson and uh, there's a there, I'll put it up on social media you can find it on YouTube uh, at the NRA's channel um there is an, an ad uh, that is up uh, aimed at Senator Manchin uh saying to reject the gun control agenda trying to put some pressure on there and you know what happens and Erica, maybe you can comment on this half the time now I, mean, I bet more than that I mean if you can get 10 people to call a senator's office they pay attention I am not saying they don't but the digital uh play also gets so much attention and their their people are watching they're seeing it They're checking out the action. This is a big deal um, to to know. Tell me about the ways you can influence a senator in the modern era here.
2: Absolutely. Phone calls are the most important by far. Um, In the House, things have changed a little bit. They don't necessarily have somebody answering the phone, which is unbelievable. (laughs) But in the Senate, uh, we have actually ran ads in an unnamed senator's state, And the senator actually called us and asked us to please stop because he was being bombarded (laughs) with phone calls. And we said, well, we'd be happy to stop if you would be happy to stop assaulting the Second Amendment and tell us that you're not going to support the gun control bills that are currently being considered by the Senate. So everybody can really make a difference just by picking up the phone and calling their senators, even if you live in a liberal state. Make them accountable to you. They work for you, not the other way around.
1: Right. Very good. Erica, uh, turgeson and last thing is tell us where people can go that want to learn more uh, to get more about this. I know YouTube, I have this video up, but, I mean, what's the, there's portals and things that you put together. Direct some folks to find out more, to get to understand. You want to have the language right and understand what you're talking about. So that would be helpful, please.
2: Absolutely. N-R-A-I-L-A. It's Institute for Legislative Action org or just NRA org, and I would encourage um, all of your listeners to also become members and help join the fight.
1: Great, thank you, Erica. We'll have you on again. Keep us on the on a short list in terms of what you're hearing and seeing. And uh, <clears throat> pardon me, we'll we'll uh, we'll track it too. Coming in the next week or so. So thanks very much, Erica. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. We'll be back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative perspective since 1983, continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly.
3: Feminists are forever whining about equal pay and the so-called pay gap between the wages paid to men and to women. Well, we've had the equal pay law since 1971, and there's a big government agency to enforce the law and punish violators. Now, the first thing to remember is that the law does not require that everybody be paid the same. That's communism. We believe in equal pay for equal work. Perhaps an even more important reason for women's lower pay is the choices that women make in their personal lives, such as having children. Women with children earn less because they take more time off of the workforce, and childless women earn just about the same as men. Another fact is the influence of, now you're going to learn a new word, hypergamy. That means that women typically choose a husband or boyfriend who earns more than she does. Now, funny thing, men don't seem to have that same preference for a higher-earning wife. While women prefer to have a higher-earning partner, men generally prefer to be the higher-earning partner in a relationship. This simple but profound difference between the sexes has powerful consequences for the so called pay gap. Suppose the pay gap between men and women were magically eliminated. If that happened, simple arithmetic suggests that half of women would be unable to find what they regard as a suitable husband. Now let's look at preferences for college courses. When you read a college catalog, you'll find that there are no gender separations in courses of study. There are no male math courses and female math courses, but not nearly as many women choose math as men. Women generally choose college courses that pay less in the labor market, such as psychology and sociology. Now, those are choices that women themselves make, and those choices do contribute to the pay gap.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For more than 50 years, Phyllis led the fight against the dead-end road of radical feminism. Today, with the rise of so many savvy young conservative women, new voices are emerging. You're invited to voice your opinion on what's really important to women at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back, Ed Martin, here in the Pro America Report. As We wrap things up. Let me talk about a few things that are happening. And I last night on the uh, again on the Collegian Summit, the Phyllis Schlafly Collegian Summit, 28th annual, we had some great speakers on judges. I uh, go back and find Mike Davis, who's been on this program before, who heads up the Article Three Project, and you can check out uh, what he's been doing uh, and and what he says is happening. What happened with judges and what's happening now. He did give us an update on the um, the judge uh, Judge Brown, who is a federal district court judge appointed under Obama was confirmed to the Court of Appeals to the Merrick Garland seat. And her initials are Judge KBJ, I forget, or KJB. KJB, yes, um, um, Judge, maybe Karen something, Brown, KJB. And all over uh, D.C. on the streets, there's signs saying confirm her. Well, she's confirmed. And she went to Harvard Law School. Ted Cruz talked about her. She was a year behind him in, in law school. And he said, you know, she's uh, she has no real track record to show what she thinks. But she said she's very smart and impressive in some ways. So um, that is, the, but here's where it gets interesting. She's the obvious person to fulfill, Biden's uh, desire to appoint an African-American woman to the Supreme Court. That's what he promised he would do. And she is uh, a former clerk for Justice Breyer, Stephen Breyer. And in the last 48 hours, as she was confirmed, 13 groups of of, of progressives have said, time to retire Breyer. And uh, both Mike uh, Davis, who was with us, and Ted Cruz, who was with us yesterday uh, at the Collegians uh, Summit, go to Phyllis Schlafly Eagles on uh, YouTube. If you go listen, to, both of them said, "Yeah, these kinds of efforts backfire." If you're a Supreme Court justice, you don't you you're not used to being told by political activists time to quit. And um, and so both of them said they didn't think it was going to work, and they thought it was actually going to be uh, to the detriment of the effort to ch- to replace um, to replace. Uh, the uh, uh, Justice Breyer, so we'll see what happens. So check those out. Check out that uh, that uh, th- those videos in there on this because it was really telling. And uh, the other thing that um, Mike Davis talked about was there are now serious bipartisan efforts to to rein in the tech giants based on antitrust bipartisan efforts, meaning a law that would be passed that would be used to rein in big tech and actually get big tech to get within its constraints. Now, I kept pushing them last night saying, will it pass? Because what you have to have is the Democrats have to want it, including leadership. And I don't know why the leadership in the Democrat Party would want to do the right thing, which is to break up these uh, monopolies that are taking away speech, because the speech generally goes in their direction. It's generally positive for them. Why would they want to get rid of that? And so I'm not sure that I believe that they're going to do it. But he, he asked him five different ways. He said it's serious, it's real, there's a real chance that it passes. And uh, so watch for that. Watch for that. And he said some of the good guys, are, I haven't looked at the legislation yet, but some of the good guys are um, are on board on this. All right, one last point. I'm, I know I'm talking about collegians a lot, but it was extraordinary to be with uh, Congressman Thomas Massey, who is a, a, a graduate of MIT, has a master's degree there too. And he oh, he holds 30 patents. For all kinds of computer technology, artificial intelligence, and, uh, and uh, he has started and sold a couple of companies. But the funniest thing, if you go again to uh, Phyllis Schlaffel-Eagles, to our YouTube channel, and find the uh, video of him, the section where he's talking about his invention. He lives on a, on, a, on a farm in Kentucky, and the whole house is off the grid. He uses a, a Tesla battery that's reconfigured and, and he uses solar. And anyway, so he's, he's, I've known that for years. In the last couple of years, he, they have chickens. And when he's away in Congress or his wife is away too, they how do you feed the chickens? You got to get your neighbor to come over and all. So he's invented what he calls the clucks Capacitor, Clux capacitor, and it's a moving chicken coop that's on wheels, and it's operated by solar power, and the and the rainwater is gathered, and so you have inside of this cage chickens. And every couple of uh, hours, it moves a few feet, so the chickens get new grass to eat, and they get to a new area. And it moves around your yard, and it's all completely independent, independently operated, and doesn't need anything uh, to keep to work. Pretty extraordinary. And so the Klux capacitor, go find that is worth seeing. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to get him to do a video just on that because it was extraordinary to hear him talk about it. He's a real character, and uh, talking about patents and the importance of the pat- importance of the patent system for making America work so well. And the envy of the world. So, all right, everybody, I got to run now. Thank you, as always, to our great technical director, Noah, for the great job he does to keep everything online, our producer, actually, and Joanna for booking all our guests. And we will be back tomorrow. Don't forget, visit proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com, and sign up there for the Daily Wink. We'll be back tomorrow. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then.
0: This
1: is the Pro America Report on The Answer, San Diego.